Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And it's your last chance to get more fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this limited-time bundle ends June 30th. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Good evening, everyone. We begin tonight with the breaking news from the Supreme Court. The 6-3 conservative majority has decided to hear the case of Trump versus the United States on whether Donald Trump can claim presidential immunity over his criminal election interference charges. Now, I will remind you, the court could have just affirmed the U.S. District Court's ruling that no, a president does not have absolute immunity. But that was not the decision tonight. And while hearing the case does not mean that ultimately they will rule in Trump's favor, the highest court in the land just gave Trump something that he has been aggressively fighting for, time. The oral arguments in the case have been set for the week of April 22nd, nearly two months from now. Why so much time? Mm -hmm. And after that, even in a best case scenario, it will be a few weeks before a decision comes down. That is the best case considering we know that there are at least some of the Supreme Court justices who don't agree with the earlier rulings. Otherwise, they would not be hearing the case. And if the court does decide to affirm the earlier ruling, as they should, and hand the case back to District Court Judge Tanya Chutkin, she would need a few months to get the case back on track and reach a trial. And that would take us through the summer and easily past July when the Republican National Convention is scheduled, when Donald Trump is expected to become the party's nominee. And at that point, what will the DOJ and Attorney General Merrick Garland decide to do? Will they move forward with the trial that would have to get underway during the heat of the general election? Or would they allow Trump to yet again evade accountability before the presidential election? Joining me now is a powerhouse legal panel, Andrew Weissman, former FBI general counsel and former senior member of the Mueller probe, Melissa Murray, law professor at New York University and MSNBC legal analyst, Maya Wiley, former assistant U.S. attorney and president and CEO of the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights, and Paul Butler, former federal prosecutor and MSNBC legal analyst. A powerhouse panel indeed. I'm going to go to those who are at at a disadvantage because they're not here at the table with me, Andrew. I'm going to start with you. Um, And I, I am, to be honest with you, a bit dejected by this ruling because I'm not a lawyer. I'm the, I'm the non-lawyer on this panel. But I read the district court ruling and it seemed very thorough. I, I had you on. I've had all of you all on. And we've, I think we've all agreed that it was thorough and that it didn't necessarily need the Supreme Court to jump in. But now they have. Can you explain to me why they need until April to actually hear oral arguments and what that means for us? I think there are two ways to think about it. One is the substance of the decision uh, about presidential immunity, and the other is the clock, the timeline. Uh, As you pointed out, with respect to the substance, it is hard to find somebody other than one of Trump's defense counsel who is actually with a straight face making the argument that you can kill somebody 
um, by ordering CL Team 6 to kill a political adversary, and that is official acts of a president that are immune. Um, and so there's very little substance, and you have two really spectacular decisions at the district court and the court of appeals. So then you deal with the timeline and this issue of does the Supreme Court somehow think, you know, it needs to give um, sort of the stamp of approval? It should, as the highest court of the land, it should weigh in on this issue. Um, there, there is, uh, there is a lot tonight to be pessimistic about. If the Supreme Court thought that they had the opportunity to hear this case directly from the district court, if you remember, Jack Smith had asked the court to take the case directly to jump over the Court of Appeals, and they said no. Um, mm -hmm. It should go um, in the normal order. The other thing they did is they could have said they could have ruled on this quicker. I mean, it took them two weeks to decide just this. Um, and then, uh, Joy, to your note, is that um, they have scheduled this in a, in a certain way in an expedited fashion, but not all that expedited compared to like Bush v. Gore. Um, this is two months. And I want everyone to understand this case has been fully briefed. There are, it was briefed at the district court level. It was briefed at the court of appeals level. And it's not like this is a case where the Supreme Court's thinking, oh, you know, I hadn't really been following the news. I hadn't <laughs> really read all these cases. Every, this is one where there is nothing that would have prevented the court from saying, you know what, we're going to hear this next week or two weeks from now. Um, so there's, there's just a lot of reasons to be very pessimistic not maybe so much about the ultimate decision, but the ultimate decision is almost irrelevant because even if they were to say that a president is not immune by delaying it so much, they are de facto saying mm -hmm. that this former president is immune. And they're in, they're essentially having a sort of a de facto um, veto on the grand jury process and the rule of law. Uh, by just sitting on the case in the way they have. But I, I think I've now monopolized this really stellar panel too much. <laughs> no, you've not. I think your points were very well made and important to make. Melissa, I'm going to go to you because you did clerk for the great Sonia Sotomayor. Michael Ludig was on uh, with uh, Nicole Wallace earlier, and he said something that I think seems Occam razor true and also chilling. He said that for them to have taken this case at all, means that it is likely that there are members of that body, of those nine, who actually think that Donald Trump does have absolute immunity, that there's a question, that it is not a unanimous, you know, that they, 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 they've sort of already sort of conferred upon it and thought about it. And some of them think, yeah, he does. Yeah, he does have absolute immunity. Is that the way you read it? So I think there are a lot of different ways to read this, Joy. Um, I want to emphasize something that Andrew said. This case has been fully briefed both at the district court level, at the D.C. circuit level, and it's been fully briefed before the Supreme Court since February 15th, two weeks ago. So they've had ample time to consider this. And the decision below at the D.C. circuit was very careful, very methodical, went through all of Trump's arguments, many of which were actually specious to the point of being stupid. And they dealt with them fairly and gave them more attention than, frankly, they deserve. But here we are. The Supreme Court is going to hear this case on April 22nd. Again, months from now, this is, as Andrew says, 
a victory for Donald Trump because it is a delay, a significant delay that will make it much harder for this case to go to trial. What does it mean and what does it say about the internal workings of the court? I think that's harder to say, but surely we know that there are some members of the court who are perhaps more sympathetic to the position that a former president, even once he is out of office, enjoys absolute immunity for alleged acts that he took during the course of his presidency that may be within the orbit of his official acts. And they want to hear that question. And back to the point that Andrew made about what was said in the D.C. Circuit, Judge Florence Pan offered that really devastating hypothetical to Trump's lawyer that could a president order SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival and enjoy absolute immunity for that? And the lawyer hedged. But I wonder if that was a kind of poison pill that galvanized both the right and left flanks of this court, that the right, yes, we will definitely answer that question. And the left, we must answer that question and make clear that that is absolutely impermissible. And in that way, that really devastating hypothetical may have set the stage for making sure that the court took this up. I said that when the case was first briefed and decided by the D.C. Circuit that I thought that hypothetical meant that this court would have to take it, if only to confirm that that was not the case. And here we are. And here we are. Uh, let me come to the table. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Paul. Um, the Judge Tanya Chutkin has already kind of laid out the amount of time that would be needed to put this case through, to give Donald Trump and Jack Smith both enough time to prepare. So we're talking about maybe 88 days of preparation for a trial that could last four months, three months. We're now talking about a timeline that takes us way past the July convention, right up to the election, something like October. That's where we stand. If it is October, the trial could start then. It would run through the election, but not through Inauguration Day. That's our best hope, Joy. Our nation has to turn its afraid eyes to, to Judge Chunkin. She said that she doesn't care about a defendant's day job. She says that a criminal trial must take precedent. And so however late it is, I'm hoping, based on her uh, Belief in the system, the rule of law, and that no person should be above the law, that if the court actually allows this case to go to trial, then it will happen, at least begin, before the election. Uh, let me come to you, Maya. I'm making Maya be my anger translator today. I volunteer. She's next to me. She did. I she did volunteer. So I didn't, I'm not making it. She, she volunteered my sword. She's, she's going to be my anger translator. If there's not a, um, if this is not adjudicated before the election, can you imagine Merrick Garland, think about Merrick Garland, put him in your mind for a moment, allowing the not potential nominee, but the actual nominee of the Republican Party to go to trial before the election? Well, I will not say what Merrick Garland will or will not do. I will say this. It will be very, very, very difficult for anyone uh, in any position of power to not feel some heat from a whole lot of Americans that are going to say, I want the ability to see, know, and understand what a jury of Donald Trump's peers think about the evidence that he actually engaged in probably one of the most devastating things we have seen in our democracy, certainly in our lifetimes. And so the, the, the pressure on that alone would be quite significant. I can just imagine the level of protesting that we might see on the Capitol. But, but we have to, Paul and I were talking in the green room, we 
have to w- worry about that in both ways, because we have seen the violence that, and the threats and the danger and the dread that has been created by the way in which Donald Trump and others weaponize a legitimate criminal criminal process. Including threats against Chutkin. Ex- Judge Chutkin. Against judges, against jurors, yeah. against anyone who engages in the process in any way, and that we can't take for granted that we are going to continue to have peaceful processes, whether it's the counting of electoral counts uh, or or even the proceedings we have in courts, because we've already seen that. That is one of the reasons I'm going to be your anger manager, <laughs> your anger translator, Joy, is because, you know, just think about what Melissa Murray said to us. And Melissa's incredibly wise and thoughtful is that it means that we're we are such the down under the deep, dark side uh, that we have to have a conversation and a Supreme Court decision that says you can't call you, up SEAL, SEAL Team 6. What world do we ever think we need yes. to have a Supreme Court say that? To and, and I can't help thinking, Andrew, I'm sorry, and you and I have had this conversation before, that we would not be here were it not for Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland took almost three years to adjudicate the case against Donald Trump to the point where he's allowed him to dance around the system, to create delay after delay after delay, to the point where it appears that the only sanction against him will be in the hush money case where he paid off a porn star and the fact that he now owes $455 million to the state of New York, which he likely will now be able to order the RNC to pay in full because he will be the nominee and because the whole point of the campaign at that point will be to fight a case that begins a month before the election. I cannot help but think about Merrick Garland in a different world, prosecuting him right away for the attempted coup. I couldn't agree with you more. The issue of the clock, the timeline is something that um, a lot of us who have done uh, long-term criminal investigations were sort of screaming, please pay attention. The clock is everything here. Um, It took too long for the department to get off the stick. Jack Smith, to his undying and yielding credit, has really taken up um, the mantle and acted quickly um, upon his appointment. So it is not on him or on Judge Chutkin. Amen. Um, and, and I do think that it's important now. Look, I mean, that is sort of, there's a lot to talk about there. But in terms of where we are, you know, I was thinking about if you are Jack Smith and he has this incredible team, including Michael Dreven, who's argued so many cases before the Supreme Court, they have to be thinking about. What are our various options now? They have got to be thinking about a phrase that I know Maya is going to be familiar with, which is slim to win. Um, They have got to be thinking about what can they do to cut down the case. They had said it might be three months. They've got to be thinking, what do we do to get this case to trial if and when they get a green light from the Supreme Court? And with that slimmed down case, you can be sure they're also going to be thinking about going back to Judge Chutkin and saying, I know you're thinking a one-to-one that you had thought seven months was the right amount of time, but we're telling you this case is going to be shorter and narrower. So they have to be thinking about what levers did they have 
All of that, though, is contingent on a Supreme Court that's actually not going to sit on this case. And there are yeah. many, many ways they could there could be a decision that either comes too late or a decision that sort of sends it back for fact finding that basically takes those levers um, that Jack Smith has um, and takes it out of his hands. Oh. Ooh, uh, Andrew Weissman, you have been so kind and you've been you've been trapped on television for hours and hours and hours. I'm going to My allow pleasure. you to have your evening. Thank you so much for staying a little bit later so that you could talk with us. Thank you. I appreciate you, my friend. I'm going to I'm going to let you go and I'm going to keep the rest of the panel. I want to talk about this potential slim down case. But before I'm going to have you hold that for one thought for one moment, because I do want to go back to Melissa and just very quickly ask you. Once they get this back and there are oral arguments how long does that take? It really depends on the court, Joy. I mean, we've seen in Bush v. Gore this court move very expeditiously to halt the because they wanted Do- they wanted George W. Bush to be president. Because the, let's just be honest, they moved quickly because they wanted to very quickly install the five of them, including some that are working on this court now that we're working for the Bush side. They wanted Bush to be president. So they're like, we got to do this fast. Go on. Sorry. I think another consideration, though, is this court doesn't necessarily want to be in the middle of the election, right? So that's definitely something that has to be weighing on at least some faction of the court. And it reminds me of what we saw in the Trump versus Vance and Trump versus Mazars cases. Those were those congressional subpoena, New York grand jury subpoena cases that were heard in the middle of the pandemic. Um, Again, in those cases, really hot button issues could have had a real influence on the 2020 election if the subpoenas had actually resulted in the production of the evidence that was requested from both Congress and from the New York grand jury. And instead, what the court did was remand both cases back to the lower courts to adjudicate using, in the case of the congressional subpoena, a new standard that the court had determined, which was really a very similar standard to what likely was used by the lower courts anyway. And then they allowed it to go forward in advance. But again, it was such a long and extended timeline that it really had no bearing on the election at all, which I think was by design. This court did not want its fingerprints on the election. And I think that's going to be a consideration here as well. So I don't know how the court is going to move or how quickly it could have moved very quickly on February 15th by simply affirming the decision below. Okay, we're going to go really quick. You you seem to have thoughts on this. Uh, The the court decided Bush versus Gore in less than a month. It decided U.S. versus Nixon in in, in a month. Actually, Bush versus Gore was four days. So I don't think the fix is all the way in. I think even the conservative justices are going to have a difficult time buying Trump's claim of absolute immunity for anything he's ever done. But to slow drag this case— It sounds like the conservative justices are doing what they can to help the former president out, the president who appointed three of those justices. To help him out, you've got the judge in Florida who seems to be slow walking that case to help him out. You've got these Supreme Court justices. I can imagine Alito just thinking of all the wonderful trips that he could take, you know, if it works out for him the right way. And Clarence, you know, he'd love a trip, too. (laughs) I don't think these people are not, I don't think they're neutral. I think that some of them have, have feelings that they'd like him to be president again, so I don't trust them. But I wanted you to go ahead and answer that question about, let's just say this drops on Judge Tanya Chutkin in October. How can she speed it up? 
Or how could Jack Smith speed it up? Well, it's really Jack Smith because right. in any criminal case, it's really the prosecutor that decides how many people are in di- uh, am I bringing to trial right. and how many counts and, and what counts am I bringing. So really, you're always looking at number of people, but you're also looking at what am I what am I going after them on. Right. And so, you know, I think if you're a Jack Smith and, you know, Paul will also have a lot of ideas about this as a seasoned prosecutor. I was on the civil side. Uh, but you're thinking about what's my strongest case that makes my best case in it's terms quick. of my evidence that I can get out there quickly yeah. so that I can help the judge shorten the calendar on this. And I just want to go back to this last point uh, that Paul made and that you're making. Look, Clarence Thomas should be recused. He should not be able to preside over this case. And if we had binding ethics rules, not the stuff that we have where they say, well, we will self-police and decide, he would not be sitting over this yeah. case at all. Yeah. Very quickly, Melissa, you have thoughts on the motives. These are motives, but I think it is worth flagging here that the Supreme Court, even if it doesn't want to be in this election, is on the ballot in this election because Justice Thomas and Justice Alito are in their 70s. If a Republican is elected, they will resign and be replaced by a Republican justice, by Republicans who are teenagers. And we will have this conservative supermajority for the next two generations. So I, I don't know if those are motives or considerations, but I think it has to be a factor here. Well, I'm I'm not a lawyer and I am an opinion journalist. And I'm telling you right now, you just describe the motive why they would want Donald Trump to win so that those two gentlemen can retire and take trips all the time and not just on downtime for their court decisions that help Republicans and rich people. Melissa Murray, Maya Wiley, Paul Butler. Thank you all very much. Congressman Jamie Raskin joins me next as we continue with this breaking news from the Supreme Court. Stay with us. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. We're back with the breaking news that the Supreme Court has agreed to entertain Donald Trump's argument that he is absolutely immune from prosecution for his attempt to undermine the 2020 election. The decision triggers a number of deeply concerning constitutional questions and, more fundamentally, questions of timing. Who better to discuss those weighty issues with than constitutional scholar and Maryland Congressman Jamie Raskin, our friend. Congressman Raskin, I just want to go ahead and get your reaction to this decision. I mean, to me, it's disappointing, it's troubling, uh, just because of the delay it's going to occasion in the former president's criminal trial in D.C. Um, I think that they set oral argument for uh, April the 22nd, nearly two months away from now, um, which means there will be at least 
a two to three month delay in terms of uh, the ability of Judge Chutkin to proceed with the trial. I mean, I think that this is a, a perfect case for just denial of search and letting the D.C. Circuit court ruling stand or a summary affirmance would even have been better just to say, of course, the three judge panel unanimously finding that no, there is no absolute presidential immunity to criminal prosecution for crimes undertaken allegedly within the scope of his official duties. Um, I think that that would have been uh, a very easy thing for the court to do, but instead they've thrown a monkey wrench into the schedule. Uh, I mean, in discussing motive, uh, the great Melissa Murray, who clerked for uh, Sonia Sotomayor, Justice Sonia Sotomayor previously, she said one cannot discount the possibility that they are that there is a motivation, perhaps among some justices, to help Donald Trump be reelected because both Samuel Alito and Clarence Thomas are in their 70s and they would far prefer to retire under a Republican president. Now, that would be a bananas crazy thing to think, except that was the Bush v. Gore motivation, too, was to have a Republican president. And the five in the majority wanted a Republican president, one of whom did then retire. Do you see that as a potential motive for trying to help Donald Trump win? Well, out of um, some interbranch comedy here, I'll allow uh, Melissa to speculate on it. And obviously, that's not an irrational guess as to what's going on. But the key thing at this moment is for everyone to read the D.C. Circuit decision and to reemphasize um, how flawed Donald Trump's argument is as a matter of text in the Constitution, as a matter of structure of the Constitution, and as a matter of history. There's nothing to support it. In fact, the language that they're citing stands for the opposite proposition, because the impeachment clause says that if you're impeached and convicted, you can still be arrested and tried and prosecuted in court. And then they twist that around to say, therefore, you must be impeached and convicted before you are prosecuted, which is not what it means. And it's a basic logical fallacy and a complete corruption of the language of the Constitution. But it's the same thing with the structure of the Constitution, because the legislature uh, is the one that sets the laws. And the president's job is to take care that the laws are faithfully executed. How could that somehow support the proposition, as the Republican judge said on the D.C. Circuit, for the president being able to defeat the law and thwart the law when the president's job is to enforce the law. So uh, basically, there's nothing to support it. The court has got to move as quickly as possible so justice can be done. They're also holding on to a case in which they are going to decide whether the state of Colorado can remove Donald Trump from the ballot. The state of in the state of Illinois tonight, the judge in Cook County, Illinois, has ruled that Donald Trump must be removed from that ballot because of insurrection that he has committed insurrection. There's a ban on doing so in the state of Illinois. It is the third state to remove him, Colorado, Maine and now Illinois. Do you have any expectation that this Supreme Court will uphold the Colorado removal of Donald Trump from the ballot? Because I think most people think they're going to keep him on the ballot in that one, too, and help him out there as well. 
Yeah, I, no, I have no such expectation. I sat there uh, during the oral argument, and it seems very clear to me that the court does not want to address the merits of the case and the Colorado decision, and the court does not want to pronounce upon whether Donald Trump is an insurrectionist who engaged in insurrection. Rather, they will, for these purposes and these purposes only, defer to congressional <laughs> power and say yeah. it's really up to Congress to decide. But I will tell you this, uh, I think that it does support them getting behind the D.C. Circuit's ruling on presidential immunity because you've got Donald Trump's team out there saying that the president can actually assassinate his political <laughs> opponents and not be held criminally liable for that unless he's first impeached and fully convicted by the right. Senate, something that has never happened in the course of American history. You're a constitutional scholar, um, Congressman, but is it not the case that at least as Donald Trump has played the game, Donald Trump himself is absolutely immune from punishment. He has faced almost no justice other than the justice meted out upon him by Letitia James in New York. And he's trying to get out of that by trying to get the RNC and his followers to pay that bill for him. In what sense have we ha erected a system, have the great founders, who everyone is supposed to respect so much, erected a system that can prevent a dictatorship? Because it feels like we're about to have one. Well, he, he is like a little Richie Rich of comic book fame who always got his dad to bail him out of trouble with his, uh, his poppy's money. Um, but on the other hand, uh, justice is slow, but it does eventually come around. We saw that in the E. Jean Carroll case. We saw that in terms of his civil fraud uh, verdicts in New York. He now owes a half a billion dollars to people who waited patiently and invested their time and money in seeing that justice is done. And the question is whether he and the Supreme Court are going to be able to throw enough monkey wrenches into the criminal justice process that he never faces the consequences for his criminal deeds, like his involvement in shutting down a federal proceeding uh, and conspiring to do so right here in the halls of Congress. But I have faith in the American system. Uh, I've got faith in the American people. And I know that this is a country that wants to see a reckoning and wants to see justice done here. So I'm not willing to give up in any way, but everybody needs to read that DC Circuit Court opinion. And uh, everybody has to be resolved that there will be justice done. And no, presidents are not dictators who are completely beyond the law, who have the right to assassinate their political opponents or judges or members of Congress who get in their way. I will note for our audience that Donald Trump apparently is going to soon uh, welcome Viktor Orban, uh, the Hungarian autocrat, to uh, Mar-a-Lago so that maybe he can get some tips on how to be a better autocrat. Congressman Jamie Raskin, uh, thank you very much. You and bet. we do hope that we will be able to find out whether a president can tell a man uh, before Donald Trump maybe gets elected or maybe not. Coming up. Today's other breaking news, the man who broke the Senate and forever changed American politics and built the Supreme Court that is helping Donald Trump out so much, Mitch McConnell, announces that he is stepping down as Republican leader. I have a few thoughts on that. Next. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. 
Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. It is arguable, and in fact, I will argue, that there is no more consequential figure in Republican politics in the modern era than Kentucky's senior senator, Addison Mitchell McConnell, better known as Mitch, even better known as the longest-serving Republican Senate leader in the minority or in the majority in U.S. history, and also the man who, more than anyone else, broke the United States Senate. And now that he's burnt the House down, today he announced his work is done He is stepping down as the Senate Republican leader in November. But the fact remains, no individual has done more damage to the Senate than Mitch McConnell. No single individual has inflicted more harm on the reputation of the Senate than Mitch McConnell. And no one in the modern era, Republican or Democrat, has wielded power in a way that is more destructive to the American people or more shameful than Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell could well be called the Newt Gingrich of the Senate in that he broke the Senate in the same way Gingrich broke the House during the Clinton era, twisting its purpose from one of legislating for the country's good to one bent solely for the purpose of manipulating the rules for the purpose of seizing and holding on to absolute partisan power. Mitch McConnell led his party to use a single tactic more than any other to seize that power the filibuster. And while McConnell tried to deny that the filibuster has a racist historical taint, before Mitch McConnell, it had been used for nothing more often than to stop racial progress. In fact, both the longest single speaker filibuster and the longest multiple speaker filibuster in U.S. history were launched to stop the Civil Rights Acts of 1957 and 1964, respectively, according to the Senate Historical Office. But it was Mitch McConnell, not some segregationist senator from the 1950s or 60s, who presided over the largest number of Senate filibusters during the Obama administration, of course. And Mitch McConnell bragged that the purpose of the constant obstruction was to try to kneecap the first black president of the United States. Our top political priority over the next two years should be to deny President Obama a second term. Ha ha ha. Well, he failed at that because President Obama is and was a much better politician than he is. But Mitch did manage to stop President Obama from fulfilling a number of campaign promises, which died as a result of the filibuster from bipartisan immigration reform, backed, by the way, by the late John McCain and even Marco Rubio of Florida, to gun reform that could have prevented some of the hundreds of gun massacres that have occurred since Mitch McConnell gained control of the Republican caucus in the Senate, to bills securing voting rights and women's right to control their own bodies. 
on that score. It was Mitch McConnell who boasted that he stopped President Obama from fulfilling his constitutional role of filling a vacant Senate seat, getting his caucus to refuse to even meet with Obama's Supreme Court nominee, Merrick Garland, after the death of Antonin Scalia. Instead, Mitch McConnell stole the seat for the next president, reality show star Donald Trump, for whom McConnell flipped the rules again to ensure that Trump would fulfill his role as Leonard Leo's ignorant bagman by appointing two more Federalist Society justices to the court so that Samuel Alito could finally achieve his and his fellow far-right Christian nationalists' dream of overturning Roe v. Wade. And Clarence Thomas could fulfill his sad, self-hating dream of killing affirmative action because it made him feel sad when he didn't get high-paying law firm job offers after Yale Law School. And so Clarence could debase himself by writing down, on paper, that the 14th Amendment had nothing to do with black freedmen. And so Mitch McConnell could retire knowing that he and Donald Trump had together created a far right wing judiciary that would inflict pain on this country for generations. And he even bragged about it. I was shocked that uh, former President Obama left so many vacancies and didn't try to fill those positions. I'll Senator, tell you why. I'll tell you why. I was in charge of the uh, of what we did the last two years of the Obama administration. I give, I, and I will give you full credit for that. And by the way, take a bow. Ha, 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 ha. So today in Alabama, women who will suffer because of Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump's woman-hating Supreme Court rallied against a state court ruling that will cut off access to IVF for couples who want children. They can thank Mitch McConnell for that hell as can every woman or little girl who will suffer and die because of the Dobbs ruling. Mitch McConnell will complete his career as minority leader thanks to the Dobbs ruling. But he finished off his legacy by securing the acquittals of Donald Trump on impeachment charges he knew were true. That Donald Trump attempted to strong arm the government of Ukraine to cook up fake accusations against Joe Biden before the 2020 election. And that Trump staged an attempted coup on January 6, 2021. Trump's actions preceded the riot were a disgraceful, disgraceful dereliction of duty. There's no question, none, that President Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day. So Mitch McConnell will leave behind a shameful legacy. In fact, the most shameful legacy of any modern senator. But he's not leaving the Senate entirely, and there's still additional ways he can damage our democracy. And that is coming up. Believe me, I know the politics within my party at this particular moment in time. I have many faults. Misunderstanding politics is not one of them. Let me bring in former Senator Al Franken, host of the Al Franken podcast, and Charlie Sykes, MSNBC contributor and columnist. Senator Franken, I want to start with you because I will never forget you being that needed 60th vote to make sure that we had Obamacare, that millions and millions of Americans only have health care because the filibuster could be broken with your vote after you were in court for months with the person who lost yep. the seat, who didn't accept the election. 
I want to get your thoughts, given that that's become the norm. Everything has to have 60 votes because of him. Your thoughts on his retiring from leadership. He, he filibustered uh, more executive nominations than had been an equal amount to how the entire previous history of the United States. He held up everything that he could. He used any tactic he could. And I blame him, of course, for Roe being overturned. He, you know, it, it was unconscionable of him to stop Merrick Garland from being taken up. Merrick Garland, uh, Scalia died in, in February, like middle of February. And McConnell went, well, there's already been votes cast in, in New Hampshire and in the primaries. And so he blocked him because they were in the majority. But then when uh, uh, Coney, Coney Barrett came up because of, of the, the death there of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, he rushed her through. And that was in middle, middle to late September. And that's why we have Roe v. Wade overturned. And both of those were completely illegitimate. The court should be 5-4 mm -hmm. uh, uh, liberal conservative. It, it, I mean, and Charlie Sykes, you know, and I have a sound of it, but I'm not even going to play it. I'm just, we, we were going to leave it there with Senator Franken describing it. And he's absolutely true. He is an absolute hypocrite, but he will do whatever it takes to have power. And he's been very clear that he wanted to build a 6-3 or even 7-2 Federalist yeah. Society court, and he has done it. It cost him his leadership role. He's now in the minority because of it, but mm -hmm. he clearly doesn't care. No, I, you know, Mitch McConnell is a man that knows how to wield power. He thinks of himself as the master of the Senate. But really, I think that one of the most consequential things he ever did was when he failed to use his power. Um, I was thinking back on, you know, the the, the hinge moments of our history. Uh, go back to February of 2021, when he and his fellow Republicans had a chance to uh, convict Donald Trump um, yes. and decided to to whiff on that, to let somebody else handle that. Uh, he knew who Donald Trump was. He understood that Donald Trump was guilty, was responsible for all of that. Um, and had he voted in favor of conviction, uh, they might have had the 67 votes. I think they would have had the 67 votes. Yes. And we would not be in this moment we are in right now as That's a result right. of that one decision by Mitch McConnell. We yeah. now face the prospect of Donald Trump undermining the rule of law, um, repudiating everything that that Mitch McConnell claims to care about in terms of, of American world leadership um, and has made Mitch McConnell now politically irrelevant. So you go back to that one moment. And yeah. of course, he's also the architect of what's happening today, where yeah, and, it and, looks uh, like the Supreme Court may be delaying yeah. this trial. That That is Mitch McConnell's court. But also, it is because of Mitch McConnell that Merrick Garland is not only not on that court, but is attorney general today. And uh, as you have been pointing out earlier in the program, it is Merrick Garland who dragged his feet. So think about everything that's happening in our moment. And uh, it does go back to how yes. consequential Mitch McConnell is in our politics. And, and, and I'll give you more. Uh, Senator Franklin, let me go to you. More. Mitch McConnell refused to sign a bipartisan statement on Russian interference before the 2016 election, allowing them to do it. Right. And President Biden asked him to. He said no. McConnell sought to disinvite. Then he turns around and says, oh, we don't right. want to President, invite Trump 
to the inaugural because we don't know what he's going to do. He um, claimed Donald Trump was still liable for the actions that he could go be convicted in court. And then he also fixed his own uh, succession, making sure that Kentucky Republicans put it in that a Democrat couldn't replace him because there's a Democratic uh, uh, governor. He, he, there's nothing he won't do to hold on to power. He's a complete hypocrite. Yep. <laughs> that I, I uh, couldn't have put it better. Uh, every everything you you know uh, you talked about uh, again on the filibuster. He just uh, he he made he 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 ruined the Senate. Yes. He ruined the Senate by not, you know, he used the filibuster every chance he got and uh, broke the Senate, I, I, I believe. He, you could, they call him Moscow Mitch because he relaxed sanctions on a Russian oligarch and then Kentucky reaped a windfall from said oligarch. Let me go back to you, Charlie, because he's going to be replaced by other Mitch McConnells. The three people who are believed to have the lead on replacing him as leader have all endorsed Donald Trump. You wrote about one of them, John Thune, who used to be a normie. Even he has fallen into the faith. Yeah, no, I mean, here's the really the bad news um, is that uh, as, as, as much as you may dislike Mitch McConnell, who whoever's coming next is likely to be worse. Yeah. Uh, Mitch McConnell has actually been uh, something of a you know weak um, and unreliable guardrail against the worst abuses of, of Trumpism. And he's trying to fight to keep the government open. He's trying to fight for the aid to Ukraine. Um, but whoever comes next is likely to be um, basically a lapdog for Donald Trump and the United States Senate is likely to become more like the House of Representatives. Um, you know, we've seen what's happened, the kind of chaos that you have over in the House. Um, the Senate has has held on to have a little bit of common sense on some of this legislation, but don't expect that to to survive when Mitch McConnell leaves. I mean, Mitch McConnell yeah. um, has been, you know, kind of the last standing old guard Republican. And if you have a Rick Scott or you have a J.D. Vance or any of these other folks that, uh, that, 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 that comes along, um, what you're going to see is the United States Senate that that has no prospect of being yeah. a check on a That's Trump right. 2.0 presidency. Be Saddam Hussein's, it'll be like Saddam Hussein's version of whatever he had in, in, in when he was alive in Iraq. Senator Al Frank and Charlie Sykes, thank you both very much. We'll be right back. Guys, tonight's Scaring is Caring show is another demonstration of why you vote. Not because you like the candidates or you want to be their friend, but for harm reduction and for control of the Supreme Court and the United States Senate. Vote. That's tonight's readout. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. <laughs> 